Hello, and welcome to the Kosher Conversation Podcast, a Star K Media production. I'm your host, Hananya Jacobson, and in just a moment, we're going to be talking with Rabbi Baruch Bayer, a Kashus administrator here at the Star K. The weather is starting to get warmer, and I got curious about cold drinks. Here's something interesting I learned. Even though soda was the most popular drink in America in the 80s and 90s, peaking at about 54 gallons of soda a year a person, which is about a gallon a week, as opposed to only 42 or so gallons of water, in the past 20 years, that ratio has pretty much reversed itself. Now people are drinking nearly 60 gallons of water a year, as opposed to only 40 or so of soda. Health concerns played a major role in this cultural shift, but there's another factor which I never would have guessed. Around that time, single-serving-sized bottles of water started becoming widely available. You know, the 12-ounce size, the 20-ounce size, and they account for about a third of all water drunk in America today. It turns out that what people wanted all along was the convenience of a personal-sized serving. Who knew? So, water is kosher across the board. You don't really need the experts for that. I'm comfortable saying that in my own right. You can quote me. Water is kosher. However, to find out about other drinks and what we need to know about them, I give you Rabbi Bayer. Welcome, Rabbi Bayer. Hi. Hi. So before we get to our main topic, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, how you came to work at the Star K, what you've been doing here since you got here. I know you once told me you're a utility player. So Okay. Well, let's see. I came here in 1998, June of 98, I believe it was. And I've been here since then. Came from, uh, from I guess, Chinuch uh, world. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been teaching in Silver Spring. In Yeshiva High. Yeshiva High is Yeshiva Greater Washington? Yeshiva Greater Washington, yeah. Okay. Was not, I, I did better with the girls than the boys. Mm-hmm. Some tough kids and uh, my my classroom management was not the best. So um, eventually um, we kind of parted ways after five years there. Uh-huh. And then I was looking around for something. But you were teaching both at the time. Yeah, well, yeah, they teach in the morning, I taught the boys, in the afternoon, I taught the girls. And uh, looking around for whatever would come down the pike, I guess. Mm-hmm. Did various things. I even uh, did a stint of trying to sell tow trucks once upon a time. Really? Yeah. That did not go. It didn't sell. No, were you used cars? I could see you as a used car salesman. Yeah, you know, they weren't. They were These were brand spanking new tow trucks for the most part. Pretty much. Not always, but uh, that's the kind we tried to sell. It was a, there was a from... from parent one of the parents in the school uh, in silver spring right in the school he didn't live in silver spring but his kids i taught his kids and he was looking for someone at the time and it's an interesting that's an interesting story in and of itself but anyway so for that time that i was looking for something else i would occasionally do some hashkacha work mm-hmm. as mashkiach here and there and uh not sure how i got to know her by schumann maybe i just knew him from town already i don't know you were living here while you were I was living in baltimore uh-huh. yeah I mean, there was a, there was a possibility I might go out to Indianapolis, maybe as a mishkiach or something. And but Rabbi Shimon had you know kind of assigned me to fill in at Quest International, which is like a flavor used to be a flavor house over here in Baltimore in Owings Mills. And doing that here and off and on, he eventually told me that uh, the Star Camp was looking for someone, and I uh, interviewed. And for some crazy reason, they actually hired me. They know talent when they see it, I guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that's pretty much how I got here. Okay, and so now you've been doing this for about 20 years. A little more. A little more. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sure you've picked up a few things along the way. Yeah, pretty much about it. That's how it works, you know, I think. Um, I've got uh, 
kind of broke me in a little bit slowly, I guess. Gave me, uh, I think the first company I had was a detergent company. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Heber was and still is my Rebbe in Kashras. And he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, helped me out. And uh, yeah, then things kind of just grew from there. And I got involved. Uh, what really happened was that there were a number of companies that Dr. Pollock had on his own. He used to take care of, he actually he used to be considered a, he was always the president of Star K, but he was also an RC. an RC in a certain sense. And he had companies assigned to him. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, those were group one companies, um, like chemical companies, things like that. And then also there were some paper companies, which was kind of new at that time. We were just getting into the idea of certifying pan liner paper. And since Dr. Pollock is such a busy guy, a lot of those companies were kind of languishing mm-hmm. as far as, you know, visitations and things like that. And, you know, we were kind of like schliff it off. Oh, it's a group one. And it wasn't serious anyway, right? Right. Who needs it? We don't have to worry about it. So, Sarva so Heber kind of prevailed on him to to allow me to to slowly take over those those accounts. Probably first in fact, if not in name, and then right, eventually in right. Name, eventually, you know, eventually, okay. I got them, and then and then you know, and then I became like the paper guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to France, I think, that first year, second year I was here, which I thought was a little bit nuts since I was like brand new to Kashras, mm-hmm. and. They sent me over to France to go do some inspections at some paper companies. I had no idea. So what, we, I, we what were going to talk about drinks, but what, yeah, what are you but, looking for in a paper company? Well, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I actually, um, I, when I went to France, I was met, I, I met with, a, there was a, a man over there in France who um, we were working with at the time, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Mr. Masika, Dr. Masika, he's a, he's a food technologist. Who worked for the um, the Besant of Paris? Okay, and uh, he was kind of like my translator, also because you know the French are notorious for not speaking English, even if they can. Right. So that was you know trying to get me over the language barrier, and there was language barrier with him also. It was just Ivrit, and so my broken Ivrit and his broken English, and how we managed. Um, yeah. So that sounds uh, like a bit of- yeah. The, the main thing I was basically doing over there, and what we do now with paper is we look at we try to make sure that the coatings that are used are not made from animal fatty acids, basically. That's really what the Shila is mm-hmm. with paper, with uh, pan liner papers and things like that. It's the coating. Uh, but being the Star K, we try to make sure that uh, that everything, all of the ingredients that are used, you know, even, it's, even things which are only used at parts per million, are also kosher. Once we're putting our name on it. Right. We try to make sure. So we're talking about, you know, things with tiny little bits of chemicals that they put into, you know, thousands of gallons of water. We try to make sure. Um, that everything is is on the up and up, including you know defomers, which could be a shila, but they're used in very very small amounts. So and they usually don't end up in the paper. The whole idea with the, with the paper that we certify is these are things which are coated with something which comes into direct contact with the food and heat and heat. Right. So that's why we have a concern. Um, Starke has akpadas even on wax paper, which not all the other many agencies don't care about. Um, Rabbi Heinemann has a concern because a lot of wax manufacturers, I don't know if this is still the case, but they used to um, also deal in tallow. So the same equipment that would use be used for something which is innocuous like paraffin wax could also be used to melt tallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Rabbi Heinemann felt that uh, unless a wax paper has a decent hashgacha that we shouldn't use it for hot. 
then when we give a Hashgacha wax paper, we make sure that it's made in a place that doesn't do any, uh, you know, uh, non-kosher waxes and things. So there is something to talk about with paper, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's pretty safe. Yeah, so, you know, now we, we've... You've been expanded to aluminum foil now, right? Yeah, you know, I do a little bit of aluminum foil, not much. We don't, do, we don't do a whole lot of aluminum foil. We do mostly paper, but we do most of the paper out there. Most of the pan liner paper that's certified is certified under the Star-K. Is it all sold under Star-K or not necessarily? Um, do other... Not necessarily. I mean, we do, uh, we, we do a lot of the mills. You know, there, isn't, there aren't too many mills in the world who do this. I mean, China, of course, has gotten into the act. Don't, we, we have one Chinese company. I don't know. I don't take care of that one. But uh, most of the thing, things that we take care of are in Europe, uh, either, either in France or Germany or in Scandinavia, I guess places that have a lot of forests and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have some stuff over here in the U.S., in Ohio, Wisconsin, the Mexican producer, also a mill, paper mill. Does that stuff vary a lot from country to country, or it's pretty much uh, sudden pretty standard. standard? It's pretty standard as far as the chemicals that are used and the, the additives that are used. Um, and again, it's it's all about, I mean, there's some surprising things in, in paper. They sometimes use glycerin, which is kind of odd. But, oh, just um, to help it smooth through the machinery? Yeah, uh, it, but it's an additive, and it's something that we need to watch out for. And then, uh, and again, like I said, the coatings are the, are the big uh, are the big question. And the things that they add to the um, to the paper in order to give it wet wet strength, so mm-hmm. the wet strength additives could also be fatty acid based. So um, as long as those chemicals are are cool, then we're then we usually give a hechsher. Oh, great! Okay, so that's paper. <laughs> um, yeah. Today I want to focus a bit on drinks. drinks right? yeah. I actually. Um, I actually have some personal interest here because I was just asked to go inspect a soda plant. Okay. And um, I'm not sure exactly what I need to look for and what's going on. So let's, let's start from the beginning. To be honest, I haven't been to many soda plants. You would think I would mm-hmm. have gone to many of them. But I got into this uh, part of the Star K mainly from Rabbi Heber. When I first came in, Rabbi Heber used to maintain the the beverage soda list. Um, and the way he did that, it was very painstaking and it was a pain in the neck. We used to have to approach, you know, different producers and get all of their individual LOCs and it was a lot of effort. Um, so he kind of gave that to me. So I took that over. And then I also kind of migrated from there to the Slurpee list. So mm-hmm. basically I came from doing these lists to getting involved in the plants themselves. In the plants. And then also I, I inherited... I think it, it, one of the few soda plant, soda companies that we actually have, um, being the Pepsi plants are new, uh, relatively new, but um, the one that we've had for the longest, Jones Soda, which is based out in... Uh, Seattle or something? Yeah, in Seattle. That one I also inherited. You know, then from there, I kind of branched out. Okay, so let's... What, what goes on with soda? Yeah, let's talk, talk in general terms. What What goes into making a soda? Right, so... It's not, I don't think it's really a complicated product that much. I mean, from a kosher standpoint, for, you mean? well, yes and no. I mean, the, the most, the, the part that we're worried about um, is, the, is the soda syrup or the concentrate that's used as the base for, for all sodas. So that's, that contains uh, flavors. I mean, I, you're going to have to break it down a little bit more for the basics. Okay. Uh, when I get a bottle of soda, 
in the, you know, it's, I, I'm a consumer. I deal with the end product, right? I have a bottle of soda in front of me. How okay. did it get from, from wherever it came from right. to me? Okay, so the soda soda industry is basically divided into two main parts, and they both feed each other. There's the soda, I guess, manufacturer. So let's say Coca-Cola, for example. Okay. And then there's the bottler. That's the other part of the equation. The soda manufacturer is responsible for making the actual flavors and what we call the concentrate uh, that's used to give the soda its taste, um, its body, whatever, whatever you know, the thing that you, anything besides the water and the carbonation basically is handled by the, by the manufacturer. So that would be Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola or any number, you know, uh, any number of, of, of big name brands out there. And then much smaller ones, there's thousand different, types of soda in the country. Some of them are just very regional. You've probably never heard of them. And those uh, those concentrates, those flavorings that are, you know, made by these manufacturers are obviously highly secretive and, um, right, that's the famous, you know, thing that everyone knows that Coca-Cola formula is, you know, top, top secret. and Only two people know it and right, they can't fly in the same right, airplane. Exactly. That kind of a thing. You know, supposedly they say when the, when the OU, the OU are the ones who certify Coca-Cola, so when they certify it to their, they're not, they're never given like a full, they're given a full complete list of ingredients to look over, but it's not, there's other things in there thrown in there that are, that are not necessarily part of the, part of mm-hmm. the mix to try to keep it secret. I'm not really sure how that works with the mashkiach, but. Uh, I mean, they probably have the other ingredients in the plant right, for right, other products right, as well. Right. So those syrups or the bases or whatever you want to call them, the concentrates mm-hmm. that, that are made for the sodas are sent out to the bottler. So a bottler is sometimes, a, a bottler basically is a company that bottles or cans the the final product of the soda. And they add various ingredients to the concentrate to come out with the final product, such as water. They add a carbonation to the water. They'll add the sweetener. So that'll either be Generally, in this country, it's it's more than likely high fructose corn syrup, or now it's become more popular, and and a lot more companies are using just plain cane sugar. Jones Soda, which is our company, has always used cane sugar. The diet sweeteners also, and diet sweeteners are also all those things are added. The colorants uh, many times might be well, not really all of them, but caramel coloring may be added over there. Preservatives will be added. That level, and the bottler. And uh, they mix it with the concentrate, and you come out with a um, with a bottle of soda or a can of soda, basically. That's the general idea. Now, what's important to understand, and, and what many people don't understand, is that the bottlers many times are not certified by could be by anyone. So, for example, you might have a you might have a Coca Cola. You know, if you'll find a can or a bottle of Coke. On the market, you won't necessarily see a hashgacha or a symbol, kosher symbol on the bottle, especially if uh, if you're farther afield and not really close to uh, a large Jewish community that has a bottler in the area. Many times it will not have a hechsher on it. Wait, I, I just want to understand one thing about the um, corporate structure over here. So you're saying that the Coca-Cola, I think Coca-Cola is based in Atlanta from what I remember. Mm-hmm. So Coca-Cola has their manufacturing facility in Atlanta and they... 
they have others around the world, but that's to say, yeah. Just for for yeah. example. Right. And so they'll manufacture all the Coke syrup for the eastern half of the United right. States. Right. And then there are independent companies that bottle that will bottle it on location right. in New Jersey and in Florida Correct. and whatever. I mean, some of those bottlers are owned by Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them are just under the authority. You'll say, as it says it on the bottle, usually, you know, bottle on the authority of Coca-Cola by whoever. Mm, that's such an interesting uh, split. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure how what, what the history behind that is and why that developed the way it did. Probably used to sell it to soda shops or something like that. Was the original business? Probably, right? Yeah, that's what people used to probably buy a lot of their sodas at the at the drugstore. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was a real drugstore. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, the the important thing to I just want to point out to everyone is that when we say that when we recommend a soda or approve a soda, we have it on our soda list, right? That mm-hmm. comes out, and we try to keep updated through the year. Um, basically, what we're saying is that we've looked into the certification on the syrup on this concentrate because the ingredients that are added at the bottler level are invariably group one ingredients. They're not ingredients that are uh, an issue as far as cautious is concerned. Mm-hmm. So the sugar, the corn syrup, the, right. the artificial the sweeteners artificial as well. Artificial sweeteners, the, the, the preservatives, mm-hmm. the carbonation, um, and obviously the water are not things that, that, that we need to worry about. Now, what many people will ask is, what about the syrup itself? How do you know that the bottler is going to use the syrup that they're given by Coca-Cola to make their product? That's a good question. Which is a good question. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to Star K products, let's say, for example, the, the Jones soda, we do not certify. We, don't, you know, we, we actually go to the, to the bottler and, you know, several times a year, and we check it and make sure that they're using the right stuff. So how do we go ahead and, and you know, tell everyone, drink Coca-Cola when you're in, uh, you know, Bucksnort, Idaho, even though there's no mm-hmm. hashtag on there? I don't think there's really a place called Bucksnort either. <laughs> but um, so if there is, I, I apologize if I'm making fun of it. But uh, basically, it's, it's kind of a svara that a bottler, obviously, if you, especially if you're bottling something like a Coca-Cola product, has no interest in, in using an off-brand or, or not the syrup that Coca-Cola sent them, unless they want to lose their business. And then not only lose the business of Coca-Cola, but probably then be blacklisted throughout the industry uh, for doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, besides the point, Coca-Cola, you know, obviously, you know, checks up on these things. And, uh, you know, if, if they come out, and I'm, I'm sure they must have like, you know, just like these special wine taster guys who know they can tell, you know, just by like, you know, they hold a bottle of wine and they sniff it and whatever. Coca-Cola must have these like special taster guys that, that, that can tell. They could tell if, if, if something's been tampered with. So based on that, on that thought process, we usually assume, and that's also based on longtime experience in the Star K and other conscious agencies, that uh, any decent bottle is not going to substitute uh, a syrup that was given to them to use you know, by by the customer, they have nothing to gain. Mm-hmm. So that's how we that's how we that's how we rely on. Okay, I see. And there's nothing else we need to wa- worry about at the bottling level. Like, do they? What if they make a grape soda or grape juice as a sweetener? Right. That's that's a possibility. We were going to get into this, I assume, anyway. But that you know, at a bottler level, there's um, it's let's say for soda, the Coca Cola things like that. That's what we call a cold fill item. Uh, a cold fill item means that there's no heat involved in the production or the filling of the item. 
So there's, as such, there's no equipment issues, there's no Kalem issues. So we don't have to be concerned that they might have run a grape soda on the line, uh, on the same line that, they, that they're doing the bottling Coca-Cola, because even if they did, it's been cleaned out between flavors. Obviously, they don't want grape Coca-Cola. I mean, some people might want that, but usually, you know, the Coca-Cola company doesn't want that. And it's cleaned and, and there's no bleos involved, so there's no absorption into the equipment, so there's not a problem. As far as using grape juice as a sweetener, that does happen sometimes. In the soda products, even? No. No. I mean, unless they specifically want to use it. In other words, they have to make part of that. It's, well, yeah, that I idea mean, obviously there's a formula. That, right. There's a formula that Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola, whoever gives to the company that you're supposed to use. They just, oh, yeah, when I mix this up for us and we know whatever you come out with is fine. I don't care how sweet it is or, you know, how bubbly it is. No, of course, it's very precise in how they do it. And then there's a lot of quality control. Um, you know, when you open up a can of Coke, you want it to taste like, like every other can of Coke. So yeah, they would not use a, 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 a sweetener other than what they're told to use. But, you know, I mean, it's definitely something that we would look out for. And like I said, in our own companies, in our own hashkacha, where we're much more careful than we, we do make sure. But we've never come across a situation mm-hmm. like that. So you're saying they might use grape juice as a sweetener for what else like what we're, what i don't know you might you, you know you i have seen it in um i don't remember one time i saw years and years ago Rep shmuel took me to a company once shmuel heineman i forgot what they were doing there even and they were using grape juice as a sweetener it's a, it's a cost thing mm-hmm. really if they can get it cheaper and, it, and it'll meet their needs then they'll use it maybe like in fruit like in canned fruit and things like that. I think I've I've seen that. I've heard about that. Mm-hmm. Using grape juice as a sweetener, but never so much in a in a in a soda, unless it's a grape soda. And to tell you the truth, most grape soda is artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not made with real grape juice. Um, there are some sodas that do contain grape juice. Um, there was um, famously a, a Mountain Dew. A few of the Mountain Dew flavors were made with grape juice. Uh, I think the Kickstart brand. And that's why at the time we, um, whatever, we had to go, we had to tell people you can only get certain kickstarts that are made at certain plants because then we know for sure that they were using the right grape juice in, in the mix. But that grape juice was not used as a sweetener. It was just part of the flavor. Mm-hmm. But it was a flavor that was added at the bottling stage. It would be added at the bottler, yeah. Okay, so it's like most, I, I'm, most products I've ever dealt with in my short tenure have been, you know, single location uh, manufacturing. You know, this is a new new way of looking at things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean thankfully for, for all of us who like to drink soda, it's, um, I mean, the soda is made this way so that it allows us to to recommend that it can be drunk all over the, you know, all over the North America pretty much because it pretty much stays the same. Mm-hmm. What about internationally? Right, so that's everyone's question. We get those questions uh, several times a year. It's a hard it's a hard question to answer simply because the let's say the OU for example who certifies the largest uh, soda manufacturers in the world are very closed-mouthed about uh, what they recommend what they don't recommend and the official line from the OU is the only can drink things which have an OU on it which makes sense which which is safe right which is safe um, it's just not convenient for consumers uh, it's not even convenient for their own meshkichem who are, you know, spread around the world. Um, so the truth is, in, in, pr- in a practical sense, um, and what, what we've been told 
uh, by the OU um, is that pretty much everywhere in North America, uh, Coke products would be fine. So that means including Canada. There's a machlokas, I think, uh, about what the situation and the status is of Mexican Coca-Cola. I think currently we say that it's fine, but I think there might be other agencies who have, I guess, different information. I don't know. But the person that I deal with in, in Mexico has told me that the Coca-Cola products are fine, but perhaps not this bright. But uh, Coca-Cola is okay in Mexico. South America, again, it, it, it really kind of revolves around if the, if the area that you're buying the soda is kind of situated near a large Jewish community, which has a functioning vodakashras that would take an interest in, in local, you know, products that are available. So then you can usually, you know, drink the soda. But I know I've been on I've been on you've been on flights to India to and places India like that. And, and so I was the, once the traveling OU will through not, Uzbekistan, and right. somebody told the, me he the, spoke to this guy and he knows Coke everywhere is kosher. Okay, I was told by the, again this by my information might be dated, mm-hmm. but that once you get beyond the European part of Russia. Um, once you get that far east, that all bets are off. That's mm-hmm. what I was told. Um, so that would mean like in the Ukraine and, and you know those areas, uh, or even in Russia itself, it's probably okay. But once you get to Uzbekistan or Iran or who knows where, or even India, um, it's hard. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you for sure because the OU will not take any, you know, if you get to now Australia mm-hmm. or New Zealand, that's fine. The Coke over there is, is okay. Because the local vodakashras, local vodakashras, it's taken care of, and it's whatever. But we don't know what's going on in these places. Okay, now are those syrups produced locally in those individual countries, or yes and no, um, not necessarily. Um, a lot of it gets produced here in the U.S. and even the U.S. stuff. A lot of it gets produced in Puerto Rico. There was a whole the one when we had one of where was last year or two years ago maybe I think it was two years ago where there was a big hurricane that went through decimated Puerto Rico. So a lot of the Coca-Cola stuff went offline, and then there was a shyla about where the syrups were coming from. Um, but stuff gets made in Europe also. I think Ireland maybe has, or maybe Scotland, I don't remember which one. There's a plant in Ireland. There's a plant in Ireland, yeah. So um, so the, even the American stuff will come from Puerto Rico or maybe from Atlanta, possibly. And then the uh, European stuff will probably come out from from Ireland, somewhere in Western Europe. The Indian stuff, I, I'm not sure. So that's the thing. I don't know. And I know about all the Chinese stuff. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, most conscious people, when they're on the road, they do drink Coca-Cola, <laughs> Coca-Cola products. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know. I, I have a hard time thinking that there's anything really problematic in a Coke flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard to find a, a real, honest to goodness, you know, non-kosher tray flavor other than like a grape juice or something like that. Um, I think you more likely run into something like a, like a non-kosher colorant. In, in soda before you would run into something like a non-kosher flavor, like a cherry soda might have a, you know, carmine colorant or something like that. Right. But Coke has caramel color, which is... Coke has caramel color, which is pretty much a group one. Right. Yeah. So, again, I, I, Coke products, it's like I said, if you're, if you're near some heavy-duty Jewish community that has a vatakashras, usually fine. Uh, once you get out to Asia and those places in Africa, who knows? Pepsi-Cola has claimed that all the Pepsi-Cola around the world is, is good. It's all the same. That's what they say. Could be. Could be. You know, but you don't have anyone checking on it either. Uh, correct. 
Um, but again, you know, like I'm saying, sodas usually are okay. usually are okay. I think as long as you stay with the normal soda. If, if you try to do funny stuff, funny and, flavor, interesting, you know, interesting flavors. I would say I wouldn't recommend that out of the United States. Right. Like I, I know in India there are a few local sodas that we don't have here. Thumbs up and stuff like that. that right. That's almost exactly Coke, but you know. Right. Who knows? But who knows? It's owned by the Coke Group. That's. It is owned by them. Okay. So okay. Um. Okay, no, I'm sure everyone's dying to know. What about Slurpees? <laughs> everyone's dying to know. Um, I haven't had a Slurpee. Life. I haven't had a Slurpee in I don't know how many years. Um, many, many years since I've had a Slurpee. I have no real desire for it. I think it's really a kid thing. I don't know. Do you drink a lot of Slurpee? No, not really. a lot, but you know, people do. Sometimes okay. it hits the spot. Yeah, the summertime they sell a whole. This is this is their high season. This is they sell tons and tons of Slurpees. I forgot already what the statistic was. Something, I don't know how many Olympic-sized swimming, swimming pools of Slurpee or something like that. Somebody once estimated that they sell. Well, Slurpee, Slurpees are, are uh, it's an interesting history of the, the Slurpee, right? It started off by a guy, I think he owned a, I think the story goes, he owned a Dairy Queen or something like that. And at one point, his, um, something broke down. I think his refrigerator or something broke down or something one time and he had to keep the soda cold so he put it in the freezer and then he uh, came in the morning it was like kind of slushy mm-hmm. and he served those and people liked it and he says hey I like those you know and they came in asking special for these like slushy Cokes and he said hmm that sounds interesting and uh, I guess somehow I don't know he had some sort of push for developing it and the rest is history as they say and he sold it to the uh, 7-Eleven company eventually down the line um, I think it was the icy, or the company. icy company, the icy and company. the icy body, whatever it was. Anyway, that's the whole historical background. But um, a Slurpee pretty much works along the same lines as a soda, for the most part. Except it's not bottled. Except it's not bottled. But the the icker part, the main part of the Slurpee again is the concentrate, the the ba- the base that's used, that's attached to the Slurpee machine at the store level. As long as that base is certified, then there's nothing wrong with the with the Slurpee. Are the stores adding sugar and syrup also, or is that... No, everything comes together. The only thing the store adds is is water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Slurpee machine does its magic. Is, is it carbonated at all? Uh, no, it's not carbonated, I don't believe. Maybe some of them are, but uh, for the most part, they're not. Basically, the Slurpee machine... it. And and also the, they add a they add like a there's a, a yucca root extract, which is added to all frozen called FCBs frozen concentrated beverages, which gives it the ability to kind of get that slurpyish slushy consistency. Um, plus the the temperature, mm-hmm. um, so works together, and that's how it comes out to be a slurpy. I don't know the science behind it, but that's. That's how, that's how it works. But there's no kosher issues with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this yucca fruit extract is... Yeah, that's fine. A it's, it's, it's a kosher problem. It's no problem. Um, you know, occasionally they've had milk Slurpees, uh, dairy Slurpees, which are very rare, but they, they do have it once flavor, in a while. It's a pina colada flavor. There was a... At one point, um, when they first started coming out with diet Slurpees, it was very hard to make a diet Slurpee because part of the... Science behind the Slurpee is the way that it affects the sugar crystals. Mm. That's what makes it into that slushy consistency. And to do it with a diet, sugar just wasn't really effective. And uh, they found it that when they used a sweetener called tagatose, um, that they were able to get it to be a uh, 
a normal Slurpee-ish type flavor. Um, I think Pepsi Cola was the first one to do that for a Diet Pepsi Slurpee. Um, and the hang-up was is that the the um, the tagatose is a dairy derivative. Um, so that was one issue. I mean, it's certainly bottle, um, but then there's questions of whether it may be perhaps it's a diuremimid, possibly. Who knows? So anyway, those were those were considered milks at the time, uh, the dairy diet Slurpees. But for the most part, the Slurpees are parv. Um, and the diet is really not a whole lot different than the than the regular as far as the flavoring goes. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we don't really come across too many issues. I mean, the one issue we had, and this really would actually extend to sodas as well. I'm talking about sodas in a in a um, at a at a soda fountain, mm-hmm. like in a restaurant or a rest stop or something like that. Um, so during the COVID, we um, we found out that especially at this time of the year when, when the Slurpees are flying out the door, that the manufacturer, the distributor of, of the Slurpee syrups was running short, mm-hmm. uh, either because factories were closing down, you know, or workers were not there or whatever the case is. And some, some of, the, of the local store at the store level were running out of, out of syrup and they were, t- they were buying actually, uh, you know, off-brand syrups to replace what they couldn't find. So we... Uh, we so there are off-brand syrups? There are. There are. There are off-brand soda syrups, for that matter. Well, off-brand soda syrups generally turn into off-brand soda. You know, right, so are... there's off-brand slurp, but there's off-brand slurp, mm-hmm. slurpy syrups as well. For, I guess, I don't know, I guess mom and pop 7-Eleven type stores or whatever that want to carry like a slurpy type drink. But anyway, so that was a uh, something which came up uh, during COVID, which and that we had to tell people that only certain stores were recommended here in the Baltimore area. Um, and I assumed that that would be the same thing all over the country. I know I went on uh, vacation somewhere far out uh, day, on a day trip, and I wanted to stop to get Slurpees at some, in like Calvert Cliffs, Maryland. Uh-huh. So I stopped into a Seven Eleven. I asked to see the syrups, and I couldn't recognize anything on the bag. It was a funny label. So. Oh. Okay, that's interesting. So I, I wasn't sure, is that what it always looks like? Yeah, right. It's interesting <laughs> because it's that. actually, when we tell people to look at the label in the yeah. back, it's a little bit of a misnomer because like Coca-Cola, like for Fanta, for example, which is a lot big Slurpee flavors, mm-hmm. a lot of Fantas out there, it doesn't have an OU on the box, but it will say Fanta. Right. And it will say the name of the flavor. And usually if it says Fanta, the name of the flavor, and that's what it is. I mean, you can assume that it's that that's what it is and that it's fine. So uh, I just want to get this very clear. If somebody is wants to know about a location he's not familiar with. If, you know, everybody's pretty comfortable with 7-Eleven, but a Wawa or a Quick Check or a yeah, so we, we get those questions a lot. What do you do about Wawa? What do you do about 7-Eleven and Quick Check and all these things? Especially people in Lakewood call us about the Quick Check. I think that's big over there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable telling people that it's that it's all fine and good, but I'm hard-pressed to say that it's not because they're all using the same stuff. For example, over here, we have uh, Royal Farms. Right, that's the competition to 7-Eleven here in, in the Baltimore area. And Royal Farms uses Coca-Cola products, I think exclusively. So, you know, I tell people generally that they're fine. You can, whatever, you know, if they have it in the Slurpee form, then it's in the Royal Farms. It'd be the same and it's not a problem. We, Fanta's part of the Coca-Cola. Fanta is part of Coca-Cola. Yeah, it's owned by Coca-Cola. And Pepsi and you know, a lot of the brand, a lot of the 7-Eleven stuff is all owned and, and made by the same manufacturers. And even now that 7-Eleven has kind of started making their own branded Slurpees, they're also made by, you know, Coca-Cola and... and by the big boys. Right. 
you know, start, the Seven Eleven didn't start, didn't like make their own, you know, soda base manufacturing uh, factory somewhere. That's not worth it. So they just wanted to brand it as a Seven Eleven product, and that's what they've been doing. But uh, invariably, they're fine. But anyway, if someone wants to go and look on the box in the back, what should they be looking for? It really depends on what it is. If it's a Coke product, so then just make sure that it's the right product. If it's one of these weird ones, some of the newer ones, like um, uh, I'm trying to think now what they're called. I can't think of the actual Slurpee name, but there's another manufacturer. Uh, I think it's called Sunny Acres or Sunny something. And they are certified by the by the Houston VOD, the HKA. Really? Yeah. And they, they've actually gotten into a lot of different Slurpees right now. Some of the odd ones, the ones that are kind of new and unusual. I don't know, SpongeBob Slurpees or one of these kind of things. Hawaiian shirt, dad's Hawaiian shirt or something. I, I have no idea. You know, Slurpee, they kind of like do marketing stuff. It ties in with movies and whatever. So those flavors were coming from this this uh, company, and it was under the HKA, which which was um, Houston Cashers Association, which is fine. Uh, it's run by good people, so we were okay with that. But w- what is interesting and what people can be aware of is that you have something out there called Slushies, which is just also another type of a Slurpee, another company. So they also get their stuff from different manufacturers, and some of the stuff will have the Hechsher of the of the Detroit VOD on it. Um, and some of it won't. So that's something that someone would need to be careful about. Uh, that if you wanted to, if you were getting a slushy, then you should check that. Some of them have an OU mm-hmm. because the slushy flavors are made in different different locations. So uh, the best bet is to always check, but many times they won't let you. Um, so it's not always comfortable. And it's not always comfortable. So if you can, if you can, Stick to the basic ones, basic Coke and basic, you know, Sprite or whatever. Blue then raspberry. I think you usually, well, blue raspberry is the standard all over. Mm-hmm. Then I think you could, uh, you could feel safe. Okay. Anything else in this sugary topic that we need to cover? I mean, the only thing I could mention to you, which is, which uh, you should keep in mind is that, especially this time of the year, iced tea. So, you know, the old iced teas that, that we drank as, you know, as kids, like the brisk iced tea comes in a can or even like regularly like I don't know Lipton iced tea for the most part those are made like a soda so they they start with a soda syrup which just tastes like tea there might be some tea in it but it's not that's the only relationship that it has to actual tea it's basically a soda that tastes like tea so those would be the same the same guidelines as far as you know drinking it without a hexer would apply to brisk iced tea things like that now we have Arizona and... Right. So a lot of the... But now they've come up ever since really Arizona and, and Snapple and, and uh, this Honest Tea and all these other teas, um, which are generally more expensive, um, generally don't contain any preservatives. And almost generally, almost all of them are made uh, from tea. They're actual tea mm-hmm. that gets brewed and then, and, then, and then canned that way. That's an example of a hot fill product that does need a hashkacha. So Arizona is a famous one. That does need a hashkacha. Um, and I believe, I'm not positive, but I believe the Honest Tea also is something like that, another brand like that. Some of the Snapples, it th- depends on what it is. 
I, I like to tell people, and I don't know this for, I don't know this 100% for a fact, but if you look at the ingredients and you see, and you see um, preservatives like potassium sorbates or benzoates or anything like that, sodium benzoate, whatever, then that's a good indication that this was not a hot fill product. What's this term you're using, hot fill? Okay, so hot fill, like I said, if it's a tea, so then it starts out as a tea, it's a hot tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets cooled and then it's pasteurized. So hot fill, generally speaking, hot fill really refers to a pasteurization st- sta- stage in the manufacturing. Um, and they do that because they're not really adding preservatives and they want to kill the, you know, the bacteria in there and make sure that it stays, has some, some sort of shelf stable condition. So they have to pasteurize it. Now the pasteurizers in these bottlers, like I said, a bottler is not dedicated necessarily to Arizona tea. Um, so, they will, um, they'll pasteurize anything, um, anything from, you know, clam juice to uh, grape juice to who knows what. Um, so that's why with these, and, and it's done hot at hot temperatures beyond the ounce of lettuce. Um, and they could, you could really have an Arizona tea that's produced there, which would be trafe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you could come on to different, you know, heterim, stam, kelim, and things like that. But, you know, lichatchili, you should really look for a hechsher. And we at the Star K would not be comfortable telling you to get Arizona tea without a Hechsher. Because it could be bottled because in a plant Because it could be bottled milk. in a plant that processes who knows what. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing goes to juices. Now, the truth is... I so mean, not, even though it's 100% juice bottle... Right, we, we, we do tell people that you, know, that, that you can get any juice, 100% apple juice or juice or orange juice or whatever. We do say that. Um, but I think in a Lilchatchila Difka Eifen, I think, you know... People should be careful. Better to get it with. But one of those kind of things is better to get it with after. Mm-hmm. And that's because the bottling. Because the bottling, used. because of the equipment. Like orange juice is famous for being produced at dairies, many dairies. So if you're looking for power of orange juice, so you have that issue. Is it bottle? Is it, yeah. Okay. Stom Caleb, you have, you know, that's what we say. It's, it's better to get it with Hechsher. Can you drink it without? Yes. So what other products are hot fill? <sighs> um, well, uh, <laughs> Coconut water. Coconut water. <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> I have, a, you know, this company that I've been dealing with for years now. Um, coconut is my is the bane of my existence, it seems. I know what to get you for Shalchanis now. Yeah, please not. Uh, this started out as a very small little company. The guy was from Brazil. I think it even started in Brazil. Um, doing coconut water, which tetra-packed. Mm-hmm. There's UHT-packed. Um, that means it comes in a box. comes in a box, so it's very shelf-stable. And, uh, and UHT is ultra. UHT is ultra high temperature, and uh, they basically sanitize. They basically um, not sanitize, sterilize it. They sterilize a product, and then they put it in this Tetra Pack, and that keeps it. You can keep it on the shelf for weeks or months or whatever. And coconut water by itself is a group one. Basically, uh, it's the production facilities. issues, the facilities that 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 you run into problems. So that's another example. <laughs> Of a hot fill item, but there are a number of them out there uh, nowadays that that are hot filled. Uh, a lot of premium drinks out there are hot filled. If you're paying good money for a drink, then then a, more than likely that's a hot filled item. And um, hence you want it, it with that. And hence you're going to want it with a hechsher. Teas and uh, I don't know. Like I said, these these uh, what the weird drinks are out there. Uh, energy drinks basically are all uh, for the most part sodas with mm. a lot of caffeine added to it or whatever. 
but there's no uh, secret sauce. It's just all caffeine. <laughs> they they try to sell it. it has a you know the guarana is another you know mm. thing that's supposed to they kick you know get people going. It's also caffeine. Yeah, which is basically a kind of caffeine. Yeah, it's. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, anything in a Tetra Pack, anything in a Tetra Pack is a hot fill. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, anything on, on in the refrigerator section, not a soda that you buy in the re- refrigerated soda in 7-Eleven in the refrigerator case that they just put it in there to taste better and it's cold and they'll sell it for more money. But something which is kept in the supermarket in the refrigerator case would be a hot filled item. And because if it needs to stay in the refrigerator, it needs to stay in the stay, fridge, and that's an indication that it, that it, that it, that it doesn't have preservatives in it, and and it was hot filled, right? Wow. Anything else on? Um, well, I can just tell you, bottled Starbucks. Uh, there's a lot of bottled Starbucks out there. Starbucks products. Um, probably a few competitors by now too. And there's probably a few competitors by now. J and J. Right. Exactly. So um, that's a hot filled item, actually. But um, mm-hmm. I believe, pretty sure it is. Anyway, but there's a K, usually there's a KD on it, and uh, we happen to know that those are reliable. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. This is really, really interesting. My pleasure. All right, Hatzlocha. Before we go, a few quick things. First, I have a small correction to make. That flight I was on was actually through the Ukraine, not through Uzbekistan, so my friend was still okay drinking his Coke in Kiev. Second, since recording the interview, I visited that soda bottling factory we talked about. Thanks to Rabbi Bayer, I know exactly what to expect, and the setup was as he described it. Guess who, what the most popular drink there is? Water. That's right. They told me that when you come home sticky from all the syrup and you can't get the sweet smell out of your hair, soda somehow loses its allure. Anyway, that's all for this time. This is Hanani Jacobson, signing off.